Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bunker Books podcast. My name is Nick Cohen, and today we are talking about 26.2 Miles to Happiness, a comedian's tale of running, red wine and redemption by Paul Tonkinson, which is the best book about running I think I've ever read. It's just a tremendous exploration of why people run and being by a comedian. It's also quite funny, but it is not just funny by any means. I'm delighted to have Paul Tonkinson with me. Hello, Paul. That's that's very kind of you to say so, you know. And and also it's very it's it's nice because, you know, when you're writing these things, you hope that some people uh will see that you put some effort into writing and some some thought into it as well. People who I, I don't know, you, you were you were the first person with some sort of uh, cultural currency <laughs> to say that they liked it. So 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 it's good. I kind of got the book through on a bit of a kind of you know, the pitch was it's sort of it's about running, but there'll be a little, little bit of showbiz chat and stuff. That was a bit of a Trojan horse. I didn't present it as a, as a sort of psychodrama that it became. Yeah. Because um, the book kind of changed in the writing of it. So I put a lot of effort into the book. And I really enjoyed writing. Oh, you could see that. I mean, I mean, most books about running are across the Ethiopian highlands or running the Andes barefoot. Yes. Um, really, but yeah. this is this is very much about... The overwhelming majority of people, I think, who take it up and who fall in love with it. Uh, A very good piece of advice I've always taken about writing is uh, do it chronologically. So let's start at the beginning. And the reader gets a bit of a taste of what is to come because you're at a party in Crouch End and a friend of yours says... People only run to run. Before we go any further, I should say that we are living up to every Ramona cliche here. I'm broadcasting from a studio in Islington talking about a a drinks party in Crouch End. Uh, Before we go any further, I think I'd just like to say I'm from Manchester and I think you're from Scarborough, Paul, is that right? I'm from Scarborough, yes. Yeah, so just in case people think we're a pair of uh, dainty, pointy-nosed, elite ponces. We should be proud. We ought to emphasise our northern cred here, but the fact remains, you're at a party in Crouch End, I'm in the studio in Islington, and a friend of yours says to you, people only run because they're running away from something. Yes, yes, that's my friend uh, Richard. I remember it v- very vividly. He was saying, "You own." It was quite a reductive argument, but it's an argument that a lot of people come out with. That a lot of people are running away from some kind of pain or trauma, and initially, I sort of thrust against that 
argument quite powerfully. But I think the book delves into that and develops it. And I think there's obviously elements of truth within that. You're running, you're running oh, so, oh, simultaneously away from it and and towards it as well, in a way. Because when you yes, well, you, I mean, certainly, and you set yourself the ambition of running a marathon in under three hours. Yes. Which is very, very fast in my book. It's all relative, isn't it? I think a, a sub three hour marathon is a good sort of club runner's time. I, I know a lot of people have run faster than that, but it's a kind of it's a definite mark that you can take pride in. It's a number that you can say, and people stand back in shock and go, "Wow!" <laughs> you know, it's one of those. Well, it is. Uh, I, I'm one of them. How fast is that per kilometer? I tend to deal in miles, but it's okay. It's, but but no, fine. It's six. It's about six fifty-two per mile, and about four fifteen, four sixteen per kilometer. I think, which is faster than I've ever run. Full stop. It's pretty fast, but I, I think. I, I mean, I mention it in the book, and it's not just lip service. I think any marathon is incredible, and I think for some people, a four-hour marathon is just as difficult. In many ways, I think it's harder to run a slower marathon because. You're out there for longer. Yeah, I know. It takes so long. Do you know what I mean? And you're not, and yeah. you're not as fit to start with. Do you know what I mean? There's okay. You, you know? <laughs> You've set yourself this target. Yeah. Why do you do it? I think looking back, it was a symbol of achievement that I wanted to reach. I'd, re- I'd returned to running. I used to do a lot of running in my teens, and then I got back into it into my late 30s and, and into my 40s. And I could feel it constantly calling for me. It's something I'd wanted to do. I'd always assumed I'd just do it, really, when I was a runner, when I, when I was a kid up north, and everyone was running sub-threes. It just started to crystallise. I started to run marathons again. I did a 3.30 off not that much training, and then I did a, a three-hours nine marathon. I just got more and more into being extremely fit, and the three-hour marathon became a, became a symbol of that, and I was surrounded by people training to do that. So it seemed a natural target, yeah, and I just kind of sank into it. The more you propel yourself into these things, then the more the more momentum you develop, and it just it just kind of takes over, really. Now, technically, the book is is very cleverly written. I think, in that you have every mile of the race, every twenty six point two miles. Yes, you have a description of every mile, and that's interwoven with the story of your life. It's such a surprising book because you start off, and it's very very funny describing being. You're actually, uh, when you run the London Marathon, you're, you're one of the elite, aren't you, Paul? You're one of the showbiz stars who goes into a special VIP enclosure. Yeah, I enter the hallowed environment of the, of the celebrity tent. I witness James Cracknell vaselining his testicles. It's, these yes, are, a, a scene no, no reader can ever forget. <laughs> these are heady times. Yes, yeah. and the book starts with that description of the absurdities of it and, and how, you know, how nervous everyone is in the celebrity tent and Chris Evans striding around like some kind of Nordic god and, you know, and just ex-footballers, etc. And it's, it's good fun, but they're no different to the rest of us, of course. They've just got unlimited coffee and croissants on hand should they need to do it and access to a toilet a lot quicker, which is no small <laughs> thing when you're, when you're about to do a marathon. But I wanted the first chapter, and this sounds extremely pretentious. I wanted the first Go chapter... Go ahead, you're in the right place. I, I, wanted, I wanted the first chapter to mirror the opening chapter to Don DeLillo's Underworld, where he describes a baseball match. 
just the, the variety of people amassing for the for the baseball game and this sort of like force binding them and bringing them all together and the, and the momentum and carnival aspects of that and sometimes grotesque and and of course I didn't get anything like that <laughs> but because he's a he's a genius but it, that, that was the kind of thing I wanted to the first chapter of the book to be to and then it ends with the beginning of of the marathon just that to propel us into it as the book goes on Paul you realise there's something else going on here. As you go on, you start to read about about your childhood, yes. about your stepmother, you know, your friend at the party who said people who run are running away from demons. Could there be some truth in that in your case? Oh, yeah, I, I think so, yeah. I absolutely think so. And I didn't really plan that. As I say, it came. I wanted to naturally chronicle what it is to try and run a fast marathon. And part of what running a fast marathon is is trying to approach the wall. So I talk about the wall a lot, which is the period of the marathon where, as I'm sure you're aware when you've run it yourself, everything gets incredibly tiring, almost existentially tiring, just sort of bone tired, a sort of fatigue Mm. beyond fatigue. And what it was to attack that stage of the race in order to get through it quicker than I normally do, because in most marathons, previous to my attempt to beat three hours, I'd always kind of surrendered to it. Which, which And there's a, there's a pleasure in that. So there's a pleasure in just saying, oh, who cares, and sur- surrender to it. But I wanted to – I just wanted to wrestle with it a bit more and work out what that feeling was. And to get through that quickly involved accessing a bit of sort of positive anger, I suppose, which a lot of athletes, when I've chatted to athletes at fairly high level, a lot of them use. And um, – and that involved dealing with elements of my past that I hadn't dealt with as completely as I could have done. I wanted to deal with these things quite uh, sensitively because people are alive. And of course, yeah. There's various legal things. You know, It's almost like you should have seen what I wanted to write. <laughs> but at the same time, I didn't want it to be a misery memoir or anything like that. No, it's not. But your stepmother, when your father remarries, yes. she, virtually, you know, she makes you eat your meals in the garden. You like running, so she stops you running. It's almost like a grim fairy tale. Yeah, it sort of is that. It's that phrase that I constantly tell my kids, isn't it? Hurt, you know, hurt people, hurt people. You know, and she's coming from a bit of a dysfunctional place herself, but she was undoubtedly not ready to deal with kids. We had we had a lot of problems. She was psychologically and phys- physically violent, and that lasted for quite a long time. And anything I enjoyed, she didn't want me to enjoy. So she took away my my running trainers. I used to get up at five in the morning before anyone get up and get some army boots out of the cupboard and run down to the beach and then come home and pretend I haven't got out. Do you know, creep back into yeah. my house and pretend I haven't gone to bed yet. I mean, it sounds unreal now, you know, but it's like, it's what I did, you know, and those moments do define you and they're both simultaneously awful and fantastic, really, in retrospect. It's awful that I had to do it, but fantastic that I did. Part of the motivation for wanting to talk about things like that was to honestly connect with other people going through similar experiences, you know, and give them give them a bit of hope. And, yeah. And, and also, I'm really mindful of the fact that uh, that everyone has things like this. Mine just happened to come in, in the figure of, uh, of my stepmom, who's obviously flawed, as we all are. But everyone, every, no one emerges with a free pass. Do you know what I mean? Everyone I know has had something in their life that forces them to reassess what life is about and to, to rebuild themselves and come again. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Paul, I'm nothing like the runner you are. I spend most of my time either injured or recovering from injury or fine and about to be injured. But what I thought was so beautiful about your book and what I think would appeal to everyone who just, you know, does a park run, all hundreds of thousands who do a park run at the weekend and everybody, is there are wonderful passages where you talk about the bullshit that people get at work, that they get on social media, that they get everywhere about people constantly having to present themselves through Instagram pictures and put on the face and about how running, unlike pretty much any other sport I can think of, perhaps swimming and cycling are the same, but there's such an honesty to running in that you get out what you put in. Yeah. You can't fake it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's totally that sort of simplicity of it, isn't it? It's that sort of the correlation between effort and reward is so obvious and basic and different to normal life, isn't it? Like, as we say, like I work in an industry where you're often valued on your uh, engagement with social media, how many followers you might have on Twitter or or whatever, and and yet we know these these forums, however wonderful in some aspects, because I think there's really positive aspects to them. They're not particularly good for our mental health, you know, either personally or or, or globally. And yet we're judged by those metrics. It's it's a little bit absurd, really. And obviously, for us, for me, generationally, it looks increasingly absurd. You know, I just can't be bothered to engage in these things. Um, but running sort of transcends that doesn't it it's simple you run a lot of miles you'll get stronger you run fast you'll get better at running fast there's something very simple about that and everyone can engage with it on their own level you know they you know they couch to 5k you know and then people can go from 5k and suddenly they're running six miles oh it is it is the most i I mean i did couch 5k about six years ago yeah and at the start i couldn't run for five minutes yes yes and i thought this is insane you stupid man why are you doing this actually that was my wife saying that yes and by the and after two months i could run for half an hour yeah it's amazing quite easily it is the most extraordinary change well also if you are like me an office worker as, Mm. as an awful lot of people are you've got your commute into work and then you go to pubs or restaurants Mm. or whatever at the weekends i found having lived in my part of london for what 30 years or so when I started running, I got to know my area for the first time because you're doing different routes, you're going down yeah. different streets, you're yeah, finding yeah, yeah, parks. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. grounds you into your locality. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's quite interesting during the pandemic because I had um, arguments, but sort of debates with conservative journalists who were very, very impressed by Sweden, right? which had far fewer restrictions than us. Yes. But COVID was not at the same level. It was still far higher than neighbouring Nordic countries. Mm. But, mm. you know, they had a point. Yeah. Until you, I started talking to doctors who said, and this is something, you know, everyone talks about the crisis we have to face with global warming and the rise mm. of China and plastic and whatever. But in Britain, the obesity crisis meant that our death rate was far, far higher yes. than, say, Nordic countries, because in, in Scandinavia, people do. You don't have to run, you can walk, you can cycle. Yeah. As a matter of course, they stay, most people, or large numbers of people, just do it as a matter of course. That means when the pandemic came along, which can hit people in different ways, but certainly if you were if you were heavily overweight, your odds of being seriously ill or dying shot up. And you saw people sort of almost 
physically try to outrun the pandemic, didn't you? You saw a fair few yeah. people who were overweight going for runs, and, and and good luck to them, and fantastic. You know, you sort of it's a very simple thing to do, isn't it? To just get fitter to help the NHS, as opposed to all the other measures yep. we could do as well. As well, but it's it's not to be discounted, is it? You know, no, but I mean, it's it, culturally it's very odd in Britain at the moment. Yes, because if you start saying we've got to do something about this, simply because the NHS, I mean, it's on its knees. Yes, I mean, God knows how it's going to get through the winter. Add on a pandemic has become endemic, an ageing population with often multiple chronic sicknesses, and then obesity with all the health problems that cuts. How are we as a society going to cope with that? But if you start arguing for positive measures on that, on the right they say, well, you're a nanny state and you've no right to do it. On parts of the left, not all of the left, but on parts of the left they say, oh, you're just fact-shaming and you can't talk about it. But getting people to... Not necessarily take up running, although most people can run and cycle. Mm. But yes, to walk rather than drive or get a bus and all the good that does you and how much better you feel is becoming more and more essential. Yeah, it would make a massive difference on so many levels. I think people start, I think more people are starting to do it. But you're right, it's just like, I mean, the thing is with cycling, cycling's great, but it's all the gear, isn't it? And, you know, and swimming. So it's a bit of a faff, isn't it? In terms of non faff exercise, running is just. In terms of efficiency over time and stuff, it's so much easier, isn't it? And obviously, what? Listen, let's face it, we're all going to end up walking. You're injured. I'm injured currently. My body is finding it increasingly difficult to run as far as I want it to. <laughs> you know, we'll end up walking, and that's great. Go go for a long walk. Walking's good fun as well, you know. But you, you know, you don't get the sweat on. You don't quite get the rush of it. But it's still not to be frowned on. Just walk to work, you know. Now, twenty six miles is a hell of a long way. How far did you have to push your body in training? Because one thing that gets me, you can't just run if you want to be running. You start running, you think, hey, I'm running. Then people say, oh, well, Nick, no, 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 you need to do sprints, repeat sprints of 400 metres, 800 metres, kilometre, go up and down hills very fast, do some weights, cycle as well. And you think, hold on a second, how are you meant to fit all this into, a, into your life? Yes. I didn't do any other exercises. I didn't do any weights. I didn't do any cycling. I did the odd sort of track session of like 800 metres or whatever. But mo- most of the training I did for the, the most important runs when you're training for marathon is the long runs. And so every week you'd run between, you know, start off at about 14 miles and then increase it by two miles a week till you're doing like three or four runs in the 20 to 22 mile bracket. Because then you're sort of, you're introducing your body to this to this wall thing, to this idea of, when it runs out of natural fuel and it's all the glycogen leaves your legs and it's you're just taking tentative steps into that zone. You don't want to run 26 miles before you run a marathon. You want to leave that till the day because it's a very, very long way and it's really hard work. And psychologically, you want to keep your power to drive for the race itself. But the, the long runs are the thing. That's for everyone at every level. It's just getting used to What did your family think of you when you were doing all this? They were okay, actually, because they were fairly used to it. And also, because I'm a, I'm a comic who sort of... My working week is normally Thursday, Friday, Saturday evenings, either in London or around the country, and then the odd gig during the week. So I could do my long runs on a Monday, you know, when everyone everyone is at work or at school. So it wasn't, it wasn't as intrusive as it can be. When you've run 20 miles on a Sunday morning, you don't really want to do much else, do you? You want to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
have a bath, watch telly, just chill out, just chill out. With your partner who has a list of jobs to do, like yeah. to keep the house and household going, but uh, sure. it's not always totally sympathetic to. And you yeah. say, but I've run twenty miles, I know, it's just, as if that gives you some kind of moral credence, as if as if having run twenty miles for no good reason at all, you're entitled to uh, shut down the rest of the household. That's that's something I wanted to do with as well. I wanted to gently peel away the sort of the the sort of heroic elements that are sort of projected onto these events. I think it's really good fun to run a marathon. I think I think it's very emotional. I think people get a lot out of it. It can be very painful and there's a lot of struggle involved, but I think it's important to remember that it, that it's a struggle freely chosen and that it's ultimately it can be quite a selfish endeavor. Of course I would never want to denigrate anyone's journey into the marathon. You can get a lot out of it on an individual level, but Maybe even just for myself, I just wanted to occasionally puncture the pretension around it. It's it, ultimately it's a laugh. Ultimately, it's it's really good fun. No one's asking you to do it. People tend can make themselves a victim of the experience. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh look at me, I'm running out. It's really hard. You've chosen it. It's a laugh. Everyone's cheering you. You get a good medal, and you know. Oh, you have chosen. It. I mean, it's quite interesting about modern societies where which are sedentary and we now have all these health problems that come from it we have an excess of calorie calories everywhere excess of food and all the problems that 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 come with that yeah how people are closing in the way to be to do what our ancestors would have regarded as insane no one pre 20th century would have thought of 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 doing this for fun because their lives were they were getting more than enough exercise and more than enough pain lives are hard enough you know i mean in sort of uh you know ma- mass marathon events are rare in africa for instance you know you've got the people there they, they the best runners run for money and then everyone else is just walking a lot not eating much anyway it's almost a symptom of a very comfy society isn't it that we can do this so so i'm aware of that people also do it because they want some something heroic in their lives yeah. and i have to say that the end of your book when you finally make it, I was reading it about two in the morning, yeah. and I sat up in bed and just cheered. And don't get me wrong, it's really, it's really valuable about it. I, th- I think there can be both things at once. I think it can be both a heroic and quite an absurd act simultaneously. Like when you run marathons, I see it's like a private experience played out in public. You've got everyone cheering you, but and what you're going through internally is quite is quite private, and it's really valid. And I think it's great to to create a uh, a heroic context for your life when it might not be necessary especially you know there i am in my late 40s reasonably set up in in, in my career i'm not going to massively surprise anyone but i'll always earn a living for which i'm very grateful and things are a little bit you could think it can be very easy to slip into some kind of complacency isn't it and it and it's it's nice to let's face it my wife and kids have forever dwindling respect for me (laughs) it's nice to uh create a construct where you feel heroic but it's also quite it's it's a little bit silly as well and that and that's okay it doesn't degrade uh, how i felt or how inspiring it can be to hear of other people's experiences um i just didn't want to take it too too seriously you know it's just i just wanted to be aware of well paul it's been it's been great talking to you clr james the great marxist historian caribbean marxist historian 
once says, what know they of cricket that's only cricket know? And I think with your book, it's what know they of running that's only running know? It's not just about running. It's about redemption. It's about confronting your past. And it's a wonderful book. And I do think that if even if you are a really rubbish runner like me, uh, and even if you are, you just go out and jog, you get so much so much out of reading it. And it's such a pleasure to read. Who publishes it, Paul? It's Bloomsbury. It's out of Bloomsbury. The paperback's out recently, actually. So, yeah, that's uh, it's, uh, it's a Bloomsbury production. So you can buy it at all your favourite independent bookshops. Before I go, I must go into the commercial break for The Bunker, which is longer than anything on the shopping channel. So uh, here goes. The Bunker comes out daily, Monday to Friday. There are other Bunker podcasts on everything you can imagine, the arts, the environment, books. We never sleep. If you've liked this show, could you please consider subscribing to our Patreon page? Because it does take money to produce journalism. I know the whole world is geared up to the idea that you can get it, you can, journalism comes for free. It really doesn't. If you subscribe to Patreon, you get all kinds of goodies beyond the dreams of avarice. If you've liked it, could you give us a good a five-star rating or a good review on Spotify or Apple or where, wherever you receive your podcasts? Or even if you've, if you've liked this particular podcast, you could email it to some friends. That would be good too. Uh, I think I'm done with all of those. Uh, all it remains to me to say is to thank Paul very much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you. And to thank you all for listening. The Bunker Daily was presented by Nick Cohen. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>